Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to quickly share that I have a new offering on tap. It's a two-part workshop that I'm co-teaching with my friend Sebene Selassie called Finding Your Voice, Nurturing Your Sacred Expression in the World. Registration is open now, and the workshop itself happens on April 9th and 16th from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can visit my website at jkg.co, that's jkg.co, to learn more and register, or you can just hang on the line and listen until the end of this episode, where I will share more about our vision for the program. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about personal and collective transformation. Today, I'm going to speak about one of the great existential dilemmas of our time, building a personal website. (laughs) We've all known the agony of trying to come up with the perfect one-sentence way to sum yourself up. A bio that's not too long, not too short, that doesn't undersell you, but that also doesn't sound totally self-aggrandizing. Sometimes I really think that the true definition of freedom would be simply not having a personal website at all. To have the burden of needing to define myself succinctly, permanently lifted. What a relief that would be. I'm joking, of course about this being one of the great existential dilemmas of our time, but only a little. I think that the way that our existing cultural context demands that we manufacture an identity with these very clear boundaries and objectives has some very real ramifications for how we express ourselves and how we share our voices and whether or not we feel able to evolve and reveal ourselves in the ways that feel natural. And I think that we often end up suppressing or not tending to certain parts of ourselves because they don't fit into this seamless personal brand narrative that we're expected to present on our websites or on our social media profiles. So in fact, that agony or that malaise that you feel when you're trying to decide how to present yourself online is entirely real and entirely justified. You're being asked to put yourself into this unnatural box. And the thing is, once you create the box, it's not entirely clear how you're going to get out of it. Can we ever really leave old personas behind? That was a question that I first started exploring in the beginning of this season, in an episode entitled Archiving the Self. And today we're going to continue our investigation of this season's theme of home and of what coming home to ourselves means through online spaces and a discussion of the limits and the dangers of this cultural impetus we all feel to present a consistent online persona. How does that limit what we feel we can say? what we feel we are allowed to do, what we deem acceptable. Now, this topic arises, as always, out of personal experience. I just launched a new personal website at jkg.co, 
And I retired my old website at jkgly.com. And I felt such a need to leave my old online persona behind that it wasn't enough for me to simply create a brand new website at the same old URL. To me, that would be the IRL equivalent of tearing down your house and building a new one on the same plot of land in the same neighborhood and then being like, everything is going to be different now. No, that wasn't going to work for me. I needed a new setting and a new view. So I actually plunked down a not insignificant amount of money to purchase jkg.co and to hang up my shingle in a totally new virtual location. A big part of this shift for me was finally truly, really completely shedding my old productivity persona, which was basically the image that my long neglected personal website was still presenting. I originally created that website way back in 2015, which now feels quite frankly like lifetimes ago. And I was pretty overdue for an online refresh. And even though it was fairly simple for me to articulate how I wanted to present myself, for this new website. And I was able to build the site pretty quickly. When it came time to launch this new platform and to fully retire the old website, to fully lay my old productivity persona to rest, I found that I was experiencing a surprising amount of resistance. So what was that about? As I was reflecting on this resistance and the idea of reshaping one's online persona, I thought back to this conversation that I had on this podcast back in 2019 with the writer and artist Jenny O'Dell, who is the author of the book, How to Do Nothing. We were talking about this idea of context collapse. Here's a little excerpt of what she said. So the the term context collapse, um, I learned about it from Dana Boyd, um, who's a media scholar. And so when I was reading up on her, um, articulation of that idea. She refers to a book where um, the the author is describing context collapse actually in a pre-internet um, situation. So he's talking more about TV and other forms of media. But basically, he gives this thought experiment that I think is like the most helpful way for me to think about context collapse, which is um, he says, okay, so I, I went on a, a vacation as a, a college student and I had a really great time and had all these different experiences. And when I came back, I had a version of the story that I told my parents and I had a version that I told my teachers and I had a version that I told my friends. And obviously those are different. And then he says, you know, what if someone threw me a surprise party and all of those groups of people are there and someone says, how was your trip? Um, and then you have to give an accounting of your trip that somehow doesn't offend any of those groups of people, but also appeals to all of them, which is actually impossible to do. So you either end up, you know, offending someone or you kind of end up with a kind of a lowest common denominator, boring, beige, you know, version of your, of your trip. And so Dana Boyd, you know, very astutely observed that this would, this applies a lot, obviously online, where you have situations where you're, you're expressing yourself, but you don't know the context that you're expressing yourself in. So, I mean, we've all seen examples of people who unwillingly become either Twitter celebrities or laughingstocks overnight because they kind of just thought that they were speaking to friends and not realizing that, you know, someone could come along and notice this and it gets retweeted like a thousand times overnight. And that's an extreme example, but um, I think it just speaks to 
this loss of um, temporal and spatial context that we that we formerly expressed ourselves in and and formed our identities in. Um, and so, you know, with the context collapse also comes the collapse of, of these different identities that you would have in these different spheres. And I think, you know, part of it too, that he mentions in the book is if, if, if everyone has access to all of the things that you've said in other contexts, it, it would tempt you to sort of want to be consistent, right? Like you wouldn't want to, in that, that collapsed context, like appear to be like changing your mind or inconsistent, which becomes a problem, especially now, right? Because you can search through anyone's tweets and see all of the things that they've, all of the ways they've expressed themselves in the past. And and that also really troubles me because I think um, changing changing your mind is not something that should necessarily be vilified. Um, I, I change my mind when I learn something new or that I was wrong. Um, and that to me proves that I'm, you know, learning something and growing. Um, whereas that's kind of anathema to someone who's concerned with a personal brand where, much like any other brand, you're expected to just be completely consistent over time. So in this world where who I am at work and who I am at home and who I am in my neighborhood and who I am online all kind of blur together, where the context of who I am and what I'm saying at any given moment is not necessarily defined or bounded to just one specific group of people, but rather is something that anyone can see, like my online website or like my Instagram feed or my Twitter feed, there's this natural desire then to want to be consistent in how I portray myself. And there's also the desire to portray myself in a way that would be palatable or acceptable to all of these different groups. And I think that this was what was coming up for me as I was making this big online leap from one persona, originally created based on who I was eight years ago in 2015, to this new persona based on who I am now in 2023. And I think what I was tuning into was both the possibility of a perceived inconsistency between these two personas and the perceived acceptability or unacceptability of this new persona, right? My old persona had performed well. I knew that people liked her, that she was successful, that she was acceptable. Old me had a website tagline that said, do you want to find more creativity and meaning in your daily work? She was an externally oriented people pleaser here to help you solve your problems with bite-sized insights. On my new website, my tagline says, I channel words, ideas, and energy to create transformative change. New me is making a much stronger, more expansive statement that's coming from an internal orientation. There's no more chipper questions or offerings here, right? I'm channeling now. And what the hell is channeling anyway? Obviously, I know what it means. I wrote it. But from the perspective of the dominant culture, is language like channeling familiar or acceptable? I mean, maybe for words, maybe for ideas, but what about for energy? Mm, I don't really know. It all sounds a little mystical and mysterious. Maybe a little too out there, a little too woo-woo. In other words, not really acceptable, possibly frivolous, or possibly dangerous. Now, you might be like, oh my God, Jocelyn, the level at which you're breaking down your journey to writing and sharing one simple piece of website copy is feeling a little overdramatic and maybe even a little navel-gazy. And I get that. It kind of is. And also, 
what I am gazing at here is not my navel. I'm gazing at these small, super tiny inflection points of language and presentation where we decide to say or not say something about ourselves and our work that we believe to be true because we don't think it will be acceptable or because we don't think it'll be consistent with the way that we've presented ourselves in the past. The tininess of this, the minutiae of me talking about my website tagline is the point because those small shifts in language communicate something big. There's a huge difference between copy that conveys a mood of, hey, I'm here to help you be a productive member of society while also making you feel like you're experiencing creativity and meaning versus copy that conveys a mood of, hey, I'm a mystical person who's channeling powerful forces in order to create transformative change. Which one sounds more acceptable? Which one sounds more alien? Which one sounds more powerful? These seemingly small linguistic shifts in how we describe ourselves or how we describe our offerings aren't actually small. They're like the first domino that sets off a chain reaction of expansion. If we make even just the smallest change in what we allow ourselves to say and how we allow ourselves to describe our work and how we allow ourselves to frame an offering, we start to open up a little space, a little light for a new, more expansive perspective to come in. I'll give you an example. In 2018, when I was putting together the first online course I ever offered, Reset, I was working on the marketing copy for the website. And I had some tagline. I don't remember what it was anymore, but it felt kind of dead, you know, sort of flat, boring. And when I turned inward and I really looked inside myself, I knew that how I wanted to describe the course was to say that it was, quote, a cosmic tune-up for your workday. And I remember thinking, am I allowed to say that? Like, maybe it's too big or over-promisey, or maybe it sounds too woo-woo. What will people think? And it made me really uncomfortable, this tiny little piece of copy. But I decided to put it on the website while I was still building it and kind of see how it felt. And the more that I sat with it, the more that I liked it. And as soon as I accepted that one little word, cosmic, it started to shift the way that I was writing all of the copy and the way that I was thinking about the course and the energy that I was bringing to it. The same thing happened when I was putting together my second online course, Hi-Fi, during the early days of the pandemic. The tagline for that course is, tune into the wisdom of the heart. And it's all about reconnecting to the body and tuning into your intuition. And again, I experienced that same discomfort, but more magnified because I was moving out of my familiar productivity-oriented territory. It was like, who am I to teach this course? What do I really know about the wisdom of the heart. What do I know about intuition? Am I really qualified to do this? But I leaned into it and I kept going. And that course ended up being a real lifeline for people during the pandemic. And from what people tell me, made a really lasting impact on their lives. I actually just taught Hi-Fi again for the first time in over two years. And that still seems to be true. As I write this, we haven't quite finished the course and a few folks have already reached out to tell me how transformative it has been for them. As for Reset, it's been one of the most successful things I've ever created. 
And no one has ever complained about my use of the word cosmic, believe it or not. So it's all of these little baby steps, these small dominoes tipped over that have defined the shift between this old, eager-to-please, productivity-oriented web persona and this new, more rooted, more connected human who's willing to frame herself in a much more powerful, multifaceted, and woo-woo kind of way. Point being, all of those small linguistic shifts and moments where you allow yourself to say or to do something different, something a little more out there, something that feels a little more uncomfortable, something where you're like, am I allowed to say this? And then you say it. Those moments have ripple effects. They are these tiny little signposts, mile markers in your evolution. And it's so easy to not notice those opportunities to expand your language and your perspective as it pertains to how you describe yourself and your offerings. It's so easy for that internal voice to ask, are you allowed to do this? Or even just to have the energetic feeling of discomfort around embracing an idea or a phrase or a word, and then to instantly suppress it and move on, often without even noticing that you're suppressing anything. It's so easy to miss those moments, those tiny little phrases and inflection points where we could evolve, where we could step into something new. Part of the reason we miss them is because we live in a cultural context that makes it very hard to evolve. Despite the existence of a massive self-help industrial complex that is ostensibly there to assist us in improving ourselves, the true goal is always for us to remain a self that still needs improvement. In other words, the system doesn't want us to unplug from the narrative that we are broken and need to be fixed. Because if we unplug from that narrative, we might start looking around outside of ourselves at all of the things that are broken and that need to be fixed, which means looking at the systems themselves as the problem, rather than looking at ourselves as the problem, which would, of course, pose a great danger to the system. So the goal is to evolve, but not too much. And in the process of evolving, kind of, sort of, but not too much, we each of us, sadly, alas, alack, still have to continue to sell ourselves because capitalism, here we are, right? We're living in it. And if you have to sell yourself, you literally can't afford to be too inconsistent. So we develop these personal brands, these personas to package and sell our gifts and to make a living and it works. And because it works, we then feel bound to continue performing inside of that same persona. We feel afraid to evolve beyond it or to say things that are inconsistent with it. I spoke with my friend Debbie Millman on this podcast a while back. She's the host of the Design Matters podcast and a designer and a branding guru. And we talked about this idea of getting locked inside this airless chamber of your own personal brand. Here's what Debbie had to say. I've spent a lot of time thinking about what is branding. And I believe that branding is the result of manufactured meaning. We manufacture meaning around something that we then agree means something. 
It is, we're the only species on the planet that does this. It is quite a remarkable thing. We then fight over that meaning. We fight over whether that meaning is warranted. We've been doing this almost since we became conscious. Um, We manufactured meaning around symbols to signify our belief in a higher power. And then we have wars about whether that is valid or not, or which is better. And so if you look at the notion of brands being manufactured meaning, well, what does that mean then when we talk about being a personal brand? That means that we're manufacturing meaning around that notion of what we represent. And humans are messy and complicated and evolve and we're inconsistent and we are slippery and brands are supposed to be the opposite of that. They're supposed to be consistent. You know, a lot of people think that brands are the promise of an experience. People say that all the time. That is probably one of the most popular definitions of the brand, the promise of an experience. Would you like to be that consistent over the course of your life that people predict how you're going to behave or what you're going to believe or what you're going to make? What is more entrapping than that? And so my, my sense of, of being a personal brand means that you are manufacturing consistent meaning that doesn't have any sense of being magical, of being messy, of being surprising. And because of the restrictions of social media and this notion of influencers portraying a certain manufactured sense of self, it means that we're just slivers of what it means to be human if we're a personal brand. I'd hate to think that a mother would be nurturing her child as a personal brand, right? We, we want and expect more from our humanness than that. And so any aspiration to be a personal brand feels to me that we then restrict ourselves from the best things about what it means to be human. If we want to show up in a consistent way for business or for a performance or for an athletic prowess, then it's a reputation we're talking about, which is built over time by showing up in a certain way and being able to deliver a certain result. So yes, I want to have a good reputation as a designer or an artist or a podcaster or a friend, but that doesn't mean that that's all part of my personal brand. That feels like it's flying in the face of everything it means to be a person. I love what she says about personal brands closing us off to the magic of being human, to the surprises, to the messiness, to the inconsistencies. That said, it's very hard to be in this world, but not of it. As I mentioned earlier, I would love to not have a personal website at all, but I'm in this world and it's kind of hard to get by without one. 
And also I have things to say and I want people to hear them. And the internet is just how we do that these days. So how can I, how can we be in this world, but not of it? How can we have these online personas that we require for practical purposes while not letting them limit our self-expression? While not fearing or hiding our own evolution in order to remain consistent with who we've been in the past? There's so much pressure to create a persona that is acceptable to the dominant culture. And once that persona is created, there's so much pressure to continue to enact it in a consistent way. And often what happens is that we begin to unconsciously police ourselves or to suppress certain aspects of ourselves in order to maintain that consistency. We may be developing a new interest or a new passion or a new skill that wants to become a part of the expression of our fullness, but we may feel like we don't understand how it fits into this existing persona, or it might literally be at odds in certain ways with that existing persona. Or it may be that the gifts or powers or knowing that have always been with you are starting to rise into your consciousness, into your awareness, into your ability to manifest them, but it's not clear how to situate them within your current set of skills as you've portrayed them to the world. One benefit of being queer, and by benefit, I mean the knowledge that comes from an extremely painful learning process. One of the benefits of being queer is that we all of us have quite a bit of experience with transitioning from one persona to another. We understand the pain and discomfort of living within the confines of a certain persona and a certain set of expectations which the world projects onto you. And we understand the power, and again, the discomfort, of transitioning into a new persona that feels more aligned and true and expansive, as well as one that is likely to be less acceptable to the dominant culture. I first came out of the closet decades ago now in my mid-20s. And honestly, it was a rather long and torturous process, much worse than (laughs) redesigning a website, if you can believe it. A quick sketch of what happened is I broke up with my college boyfriend because I was starting to seriously suspect that boys weren't for me. But at the time, I had no real queer friends or community to become a part of. So it was sort of like what was I coming out to? Or who was I coming out for? It also turned out that I really missed my best friend, aka my boyfriend. So I ended up getting back together with him and climbing back into the closet for a few more years until eventually I met my first girlfriend and the centrifugal force pulling me out of the closet just became too much to resist any longer. But that was just my first coming out. On a certain level, I think coming out is an ever-unfolding process, and I don't mean that in a queer sense. As my evolution has unfolded, I have continued coming out of the closet again and again in different ways, and the coming out of the closet metaphor itself has now become part of my toolkit in terms of how I think about transformation and the ability to move from one persona into a more expansive more encompassing persona, and the risks and the benefits that such a move entails. Carl Jung referred to the parts of the self that we deny or repress as the shadow, the parts that are hidden in order to feel that we belong, to make ourselves acceptable to our family or our friends or our peers. And that terminology, the shadow, sounds 
pretty ominous. So it's worth noting that when we talk about the shadow, it doesn't just mean negative aspects or qualities. The shadow space can also contain positive life-affirming qualities like creativity or assertiveness or joy or playfulness. For myself, I think about this shadow, this closeted part of the self as something that we keep shut up, kind of walled off over there, something that's suppressed or tucked away, something that's not fully integrated into the personality that we show others. We might privately visit this quality sometimes, but we're not parading it around in front of other people. So for me, my spirituality, my interest in mysticism, my interest in the occult was a shadow aspect of my persona for a long time. At first, it was completely unacknowledged, an area of myself that I was utterly unconscious of. And then it became an aspect of myself that I was aware of and I was engaging with sometimes, but I was also hiding it or suppressing it at other times. In my interactions with my girlfriend at the time, who I thought would scoff at my spirituality, or later within my writing or the persona that I adopted on this podcast in the early days. I thought that in order to be taken seriously, I had to suppress the spiritual side of my personality. But finally, in season three of this podcast, I came out of the quote unquote spiritual closet and I started to show that side of myself. I talked about my struggles with my shadow. I interviewed the woman I was doing plant medicine work with. And I started to invite other healers and astrologists and activists onto the show. And the whole mood and focus of the podcast shifted as I began to integrate this previously hidden side of myself. And my trajectory began to shift fairly dramatically after that. My Reiki practice deepened. I began to integrate my energy work, which had so far kind of been happening in the shadows behind the curtain, only in private. I began to integrate that work into my professional persona. And working with energy became part of some of my online courses that I offered as well. As often happens, after I came out of the closet, spiritually speaking, all of these different avenues of possibility that hadn't been there before began to open up. And this is a trend I've noticed unfolding with folks around me as well, particularly with folks who are connected to the divine feminine. And I say folks who are connected to the divine feminine because I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about people who are tuned into this heart-centered energy that we really need to tap into right now in order to raise our vibration and start healing our culture and our planet. And what I've noticed with these folks is that more and more of them are coming out of the closet, integrating those previously hidden aspects. They're talking about their spirituality. They're exploring their connection to their ancestors, their land, the elements. They're stepping into work practices and healing practices that are outside the narrative of the dominant culture. They're tuning into a new consciousness and sharing it with others. And it's so inspiring. And I can't imagine being where I am, being who I am without them. So if you are wondering, am I allowed to say this? If you're wondering, am I allowed to show this? If you're wondering, am I allowed to offer this, to teach this, to do this thing? If you're asking a question like that at all, in any form, then the answer is yes, we need your contribution. Yes, we need you to say the things that need to be said. Yes, we need you to show up in all of your fullness. 
Yes, we need you to share the thing that wants to come out of you. And also, know that the dominant culture is never going to open the door for you. It's never going to invite you to say these things. You must nominate yourself. You must choose yourself because that's the only way that it happens. And yes, if you step through that door, if you say the thing, a small handful of people may well offer you a taste of that toxic potion that is sometimes called constructive feedback. And they will tell you that what you're doing is not the way that it's done. And then you might get a little scared and you might recoil from this new incarnation of yourself. And then you'll have to talk to some of your friends or maybe your partner, and you'll have to comfort yourself and give yourself a pep talk and shore yourself and your consciousness back up. And eventually you'll remember, hey, wait a minute, isn't doing things the way that they've always been done exactly the problem? Isn't that exactly what we're trying to break free from? And you will be right. Every word, every thought, every tagline, every baby step you take towards showing more of yourself matters. Each time you allow yourself to say or to write something new, you're activating new energies in yourself. And that energy builds in you and then it ripples out to others, activating new possibilities in them. So take some time to tune into what you're not showing, what you're not saying, what you're not allowing yourself to express. And consider starting to open that door. We need your light. Before I go, I want to share a few details about a new offering that I am super excited about. And that is also pretty relevant to everything that we just talked about which is that myself and my dear friend, Seven A Selassie, are co-teaching a new workshop in April called Finding Your Voice, Nurturing Your Sacred Expression in the World. If you don't already know Seven A's work, she is an incredible writer, thinker, and meditation teacher. And we've had a bunch of great conversations over the years on this very podcast touching into topics like unraveling your inner critic, why our culture pulls us into patterns of domination and separation, and most recently, the role of allowance and acceptance in dealing with chronic illness. I'll put some links to her past appearances in the show notes so you can familiarize yourself with her if you aren't already. But basically, she's amazing. And 7A, like me, is very passionate about the topic of self-expression and how we can tune more deeply into our gifts and speak our truth in the world. So naturally, we dreamed up a collaboration about finding your voice. Here's the skinny. Finding your voice is a two-part workshop that will take place on Zoom over the course of two Sundays in April, April 9th and April 16th from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be exploring how we can nurture the voice and our sacred expression by moving through a series of questions. Question number one is, 
what's holding you back. So we'll investigate why you might feel stuck or unable or unallowed to speak your truth by examining the cultural influences and contexts that promote suppression and silence. Question number two, how do you discover what you want to say? We'll explore how to clarify what expressions want to emerge and how to lean into the self-trust necessary to use your voice. Question number three, what happens when you speak? We'll talk about how to improvise and experiment as you share your voice, respond to feedback, and navigate the anxiety of cancel culture. Question number four, how do you care for yourself in the process? We'll explore how you can resource yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually as you begin to move into deeper self-expression. Now, this is going to be a guided experiential workshop. So while there will, of course, be some speaking from both Sebene and myself, there will also be lots of journal prompts and meditations, as well as some opportunities for breakouts and group reflection. And just so you know, because four hours is a pretty long time, we're going to have a little break in the middle of each gathering. Both sessions will also be recorded, so if you have any kind of scheduling conflict, you will have the option of participating via the Zoom replay. I am personally so thrilled to be collaborating with Sebene and to have the opportunity to invite you on this journey into deeper self-expression. With our combined magic, I have absolutely no doubt that this is going to be a really special gathering. Registration for Finding Your Voice is open now, and you can find a link to book your spot on my brand new homepage at jkg.co. Once again, that's www.jkg.co. If you are feeling called to speak your truth, I do hope that you can join us. As always, thanks for listening, and remember to hurry slowly.